Welcome to Mama's Roots Are Showing podcast, where we recognize that we get one motherhood. If you'd rather not wing it, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Nicolette. I love researching all things motherhood related and then sharing what I discovered to help moms live empowered and intentional lives. If finding yourself in motherhood sounds better than losing yourself in motherhood, I invite you to join me as we explore the nooks and crannies of motherhood. In today's episode, we're joined by Todd White of Dry Farm Wines. Todd is the CEO, and he has created a solution for consumers that tackles the deceit, the lack of transparency within the wine industry. If you drink wine, you need to listen to this episode. Buckle up, it's mind boggling. It's frustrating, it's insightful, and thankfully there's a solution. Hi, I'm here with Todd White of Dry Farm Wines. And Todd, I'm very excited to have you on today, especially the timing is perfect. The holidays are approaching and people are certainly thinking about purchasing wines and serving them at their family dinners and such. And this is just perfect to have you on, so thank you. Excited to be here. It's happy holidays and lots of time for wine. <laughs> it is. It is. Well, I was hoping we could start with you just telling us how you became the Todd White of Dry Farm Wines. What led you to where you are today with Dry Farm? Well, I've been a lifelong wine aficionado. So drank wine really my entire life, most of my life. Started drinking wine when I was nine. And so I've had a long interest in wine, but I started, I've also been a biohacker. So about seven or eight years ago, I started experimenting with a therapeutic ketogenic diet. This is before keto became keto. It was, keto had started to sort of surface in the biohacking community, primarily from the work of Dr. Dominic Diagostino, who's probably the best known kind of keto scientist in the U.S. And so I started experimenting with it. And I was therapeutically keto for a couple of years. Now I'm on what I would call a modified ketogenic diet, very similar to the Atkins program as an example. I'm just very low carb, but moderate fat, moderate protein. I used to eat very high fat. But um, when I started this therapeutic ketogenic diet, I found that I couldn't drink I wasn't. I was feeling really bad from drinking. It's a common side effect for people who go extremely keto. So they have they can have a different relationship with alcohol than they had before. So I thought it was just the alcohol. So this led me to sort of start looking for lower alcohol wines, and because I wanted to drink less, and it was. But along the path, I accidentally discovered the natural wine revolution, which was just getting well underway in central France. And natural wine, which is what I sell and drink, is a confusing term to most consumers because I say I drink natural wine and they're like, aren't all wines natural? Mm -hmm. And they're not for reasons that we're going to discuss why commercial wines are generally very unnatural and oftentimes toxic. So, but I started searching for lower alcohol wines. I stumbled upon the natural wine revolution. Then I learned all about what's happening in commercial wines and conventional wines and why they make you feel bad. And we're going to talk about that. 
but I also discovered lower alcohol wines. And so just as a result of drinking these natural wines, which didn't contain any toxins and also lowering the alcohol, um, lowering the alcohol in the wine really had a substantially positive impact on how I felt. So I started sharing these wines with friends of mine and they're like, oh, where do you get these wines? They're like, well, you can't, right? And so I started doing lab testing on them and then it became a business. And today we're known as the keto wine. We're known as the paleo wine. We're known as, you know, the healthiest wine in the world. We're also the largest buyer and seller of natural wines in the world. But before we get underway with kind of what a natural wine is, let's talk about sort of how all this happened. Like, so how did wine, which has historically been thought to be a healthy way to drink, how did wines become so unhealthy? Yeah, let's talk about that. That's really, well, it's not going to surprise you that wines became unhealthy because of two reasons, money (laughs) and greed, right? Oh, shocking. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So the same thing happened in our food supply over the last 50 years, right? So basically using Wall Street money, you have these multi-billion dollar food conglomerates, about 10 of them that control most of all the food that flows across the grocery, right? So about nine or 10 companies control most all the food supply in the United States. Well, a similar thing happened in the wine business over the last 50 years. So using Wall Street money, the wine industry consolidated around a handful of very large players. So 52% of all the wines made in the United States are made by just three giant companies. And 70% of U.S. wines are made by the top 30 U.S. companies. So when you go into the grocery store, into a wine shop, or wherever you buy your wine, and you see these rows and rows, hundreds or thousands of different brands and labels, most of those wines are manufactured by the same people all in Central California. This is really what how wine became unhealthy because these multi-billion dollar conglomerates hiding behind hundreds and thousands, hundreds or thousands of labels and brands to confuse you. They don't want you to know about this. So they hide behind all these labels. In doing this, they, they picture like on the label, right? So maybe the label have a farmhouse on it or a Mm -hmm. chateau, right? So they want you to believe that you're drinking from this farmhouse. When most often, usually you're drinking from massive wine manufacturing facilities. These are multiple football fields big. They're like huge. They're all located primarily in the same area in Central California. And so that's where most of the wine is manufactured. And guess what? It gets manufactured with a bunch of chemicals because these people are not trying to make wine better or healthier. Guess what? They're trying to make it cheaper and faster. Yeah. Profit. Right. So this is what's driven this whole contamination of the industry. It's been around money. So, which that happens in a lot of industries. Right, nothing scales like greed. So basically, natural wines, which make up, which is what I drink and sell, natural wines make up less than one tenth of one percent of wine production in the world. 
And natural wines are a very specific thing. And we're going to talk about what that specific thing is and the protocol for both growing and fermenting natural wines. It's very Everybody all over the world today knows what a natural wine is who's in the wine business. It might be a confusing term to consumers. But anyhow, so then the industry, the conventional industry, has this dirty, dark secret. See, not only have they consolidated and they're contaminated in the way they make these wines and the way they farm these chemical farming. And in addition to that, there's 76 additives approved by the FDA for the use in winemaking. The most nasty one is called dimethyl dicarbonate. Dimethyl dicarbonate is a chemical that's used to, to treat the most common bacterial fault in wine. It's called Brettomyces. Brettomyces is, um, is a bacteria that gets in wine and it causes it to taste off and to have off-putting aromatics. This chemical is used to treat Brettomyces and to solve it. It's used to treat tens of millions of gallons of wine every year. The problem is we don't know, you don't know, if dimethyl dicarbonate or other toxins that are also approved for the use by the FDA, you don't know if these toxins are in your wine or not. The reason you don't know if they're in your wine or not because there's no contents label on a wine bottle. So wine is the most largest, wine is the largest food product with no contents label and no nutritional information. So if you're me and you care about how much sugar you're drinking, you don't want to drink sugar, you can't look at a wine bottle and tell whether it contains sugar or not. Now, I can tell you most of them do. We tested the top 20 best-selling wines in the United States last year for sugar. And only two of them were sugar-free by our standard. And so sugar is quite prevalent. You may know sugar is basically in everything, uh, including your wine. So, But since I'm keto and I'm anti-sugar, I care about sugar that I take in. So any, um, so, yeah, so this, this is kind of just driven all by this kind of pursuit of money by making this product yeah. cheaper, faster, uh, farming it cheaper, faster, irrigating it. Dry farm wines is the name of our company that dry farming means we don't allow the use of irrigation. Irrigation is not necessary to grow a grapevine. Grapevines have been surviving all over the planet for more than 10,000 years without irrigation. And in some of the harshest climates in the world, like Sicily as an example, which is a volcanic island that is just super, super rocky, very dry and very hot in the middle of the Mediterranean. People will tell you in California that irrigation is required to grow a grapevine. That's simply not true. However, more than 99 Nine percent of vineyards are irrigated in the United States. Why do wow, you irrigate? Really? Yeah, but you see, you irrigate for two reasons: money and greed, right? So, irrigation, see, irrigation 
grows bigger yield. Yield is the size of the cluster. It grows a bigger yield with fruit that weighs more. It might not surprise you that when you irrigate a grapevine and you fill the berries with water, they weigh more. And why is that important? Because fruit, grapes, are sold by the ton. So the more they weigh, the more they're worth. Bigger the yield, more the berries, more weight. So we don't allow irrigation. Irrigation's bad for the planet. We're in a drought in California. Irrigation's bad for the planet. It's bad for the vine. And it makes for a less concentrated, less character in the fruit itself. Again, common sense will tell you, you fill a berry with water, it's going to dilute the character and flavor of the fruit, which produces another problem with irrigation. When you irrigate fruit, you fill it full of water, you actually have to leave the grape berry hanging on the vine longer, producing sweeter fruit because the fruit needs to have more sugar to, de- to develop proper phenolic flavoring, right? Because it's so diluted. So it, what does sh- higher sugar in the fruit produce? Uh, another problem, higher alcohol. Oh, sure. Because the way wine is made, the higher the sugar at the time of harvest will determine the outcome of the alcohol because how you make wine is that yeast eats up the sugar. That's the food source for the yeast. Once the yeast inoculates and starts fermenting, the yeast eats the sugar. And the byproduct of that is ethyl alcohol and carbon dioxide. That's how you make wine. The more sugar there is to eat, the higher the alcohol is going to be at the end. So because we drink lower alcohol wines, and what I'm about to tell you next surprises people the most. To hear me say this, because they think I'm here to sell wine. I'm not here to sell wine. I'm here to educate people about how to think about this. So, but it surprised me to hear them. It will surprise people to hear me say alcohol is a very dangerous neurotoxin and it ruins millions of lives every year. And some people shouldn't drink at all. Yep. So I choose to drink. I only drink wine. I choose to drink low alcohol natural wines. We sell wine between 7% and 12.5% nothing over 12 and a half. Most American wines average around 15% today. And they're also filled with sugar and additives and all kinds of other jazz, chemical farming. And most of the wines I drink are around 11%, between nine and 11. I prefer lower alcohol wines, both from a taste perspective and from a brain and body health perspective, because I care about how much alcohol I consume. And I like to drink. So I drink about a bottle of wine a day. That's usually mm-hmm. over a three or four hour period, right? I only eat once per day as well. So I eat between six and seven o'clock at night. And that's when I start drinking wine. You're doing intermittent fasting as well, which is a great thing to do for our body too. So yeah, you're if you're doing the modified keto diet on top of intermittent fasting, why would you ruin all of the good things that you're doing for your body by drinking wine that is going to completely take you out of that? 
not only that, but you know, we, 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 for those of us who care about what we put in our body, we spend more money and time being careful about those choices, but we hadn't really thought about our wine because we just thought wine was healthy because that's what right. everybody tells us, particularly red wine. It's healthy for you, you know, but we, nobody really was thinking about the problems associated with, it. I didn't know anything about it. I live in the heart of the Napa Valley. Nobody here, Napa Valley is the most important wine appellation in North America. No one here talks about additives. I've never heard it discussed before. Uh, I've never heard not. anybody discuss wine additives until I came along and kind of yeah. opened up the discussion. Of that. I've told a few million people about it. Um, and so if you care about what you put in your wine, you should care. If you care about what you put in your body, you should care about what kind of wine you're drinking. You should be drinking natural wine. So let's talk about what is a natural wine. Natural wines are always organic or biodynamically farmed. Now, everybody knows what organic farming is. Biodynamic farming is a prescriptive, advanced form of organic farming that was developed by a scientist named Rudolf Steiner in the mid-1920s. The 1920s, Globally, but particularly in the United States, um, the 1920s are when we started to have the advent of chemical farming in uh, any kind of mass scale. It's also the time when we sort of gave up polyagricultural, biodiverse farming and adapted a monocultural uh, way of agriculture, right? Single crops, no, no biodiversity. No, like when you go to a natural wine farm, you'll find immense biodiversity always. Livestock, orchards, trees, um, fowl, bees, insects. Uh, planting a specific insects, to, uh, planting specific herbs and flowers to draw insects into the vineyard. Because the natural wine farmer knows that everything in nature is connected and mm -hmm. that everything solves itself in nature. And the insects also play a role, as do the weeds and the grasses and the flowers and the herbs. Everything has a role. Mother Nature spent a couple billion years figuring out how to make all this stuff work together, right? <laughs> and so, so, you, so natural wine is always organically or biodynamically farmed, all chemical free, in our case, also irrigation free, although not all natural wines are irrigation free. Most are. It's a requirement we have over and above. So what Dry Farm Wines does is we have natural wine as our sort of foundation. And then we have several criteria above that, like dry farming, like being sugar free, like lower alcohol, like no, no excess sulfites. We'll talk about all this. But so we have a number of standards above this, but natural wine has three basic criteria. One, the farming. Number two, this is the most confusing, is native yeast fermentation. Indigenous wild native yeast is used to create a spontaneous fermentation. The reason we say spontaneous is because when you grow a natural grape, uh, everything you need is included in the grape to make wine because there's only two things that you need, three things you need to make wine. 
grape juice with sugar in it, and yeast. And all of those are contained on the grape already, in or on the grape already. So you don't have to add anything. You can make wine just by throwing a cluster of grapes in a bucket and pushing your foot on it, and you'll you'll start fermentation, right? And so, so this native yeast is on the skin of every grape berry, no matter how or where it's farmed in the world. It's like a white, a white waxy film. It's on the, it's on the skin of the berry. You can scrape it off with your fingernail. This is yeast. It's collected wildly and natively through the air, indigenous to the vineyard where the fruit was grown. Natural winemakers always use native yeast for fermentation. Conventional winemakers do not. And here's the reason why. This native yeast is fragile. It's difficult to work with, has to be coddled. And you can't make wine in very large quantities using native yeast. It just breaks down. It's too fragile. Natural winemakers don't make wine in very high volumes. However, this type of yeast does not work for your factory, right? And so... What the conventional winemaker uses is a genetically modified lab-grown yeast. Now, this modified yeast is modified to be very sturdy and very strong, and um, and it can be modified to withstand higher alcohol environments than a native yeast, and it can be modified to have certain flavor profiles. Let's say, for example, you wanted to have your wine taste like it was from the Mediterranean region, from Italy, say. They have a yeast for that. And that might not surprise you because if you've ever made sourdough bread or you know sourdough bread was a big thing during the pandemic, then you know that the mother yeast is the most important thing that people are always trying to get somebody's mother yeast because it has the most complex flavoring, right? So yeast impart different flavor profiles. So with the conventional wine, though, the first thing they do, they press the juice from the, from the berries, right? That goes into a tank. Now, with, with the natural winemaker, that's all that's needed. It will just start fermenting, right? It's called spontaneous fermentation. But with the conventional winemaker, they dump sulfur dioxide, which is an approved additive by the FDA. They dump sulfur dioxide, which will kill the yeast. So they kill the native yeast because they don't want the lab yeast and the native yeast competing. They need to have one yeast profile into the to to so they pour sulfur dioxide into the tank, kill the native yeast, and then they inoculate it with this GMO lab grown yeast. And that's how conventional wines are fermented. That sounds then, horrible. The, yeah, it's kind of bad, but it's by the way, everything I've shared with you and everything industry size, top 20 wines, 76 FDA approved additives, sulfur dioxide, dimethyl dicarbonate, it's all on Google. You I know mean, if what, you search 76 FDA approved wine additives, the list will come up. It's a, it's a government document. You know, it's, it's so crazy because I have been on similar to you, a journey of health and just trying to be more intentional about what I put in my body and how I take care of my body. And certainly it's a journey, right? I hope that in five years, I know more than I know now. And five years ago, I didn't know as much, but I'm always researching these things, but it's interesting. I had no idea about wine until the last year or so. 
then finding out that there's no nutrition labels. And the organic wine that I was thinking I was doing a service to myself by purchasing at the grocery store is not organic at all. All that well, means is that the grapes are grown organically, correct? Right. So, so it's, you know, so here's the deal. If just because of this is further confusing, all of this is quite confusing, but just because a wine is organically grown doesn't mean it's a natural wine. Now, all natural wines are organic. Not all organic wines are natural or biodynamic for that matter meaning they can contain additives. They uh, could contain sugar as well. Just, you know, the, just because it's organic just means it was farmed organically. It does not mean it's native yeast fermentation or that it's additive-free. That so, is confusing. It is. It is. So there's more to the story than just the farming. Now, do I think you're better off and do I think the planet's better off to drink organic wine, even though it's not natural? Sure. Sure. I, I think that's a reasonable assumption that organic wine is better than non-organic wine for you and the planet, but it doesn't mean it's natural. Mm-hmm. And again, this natural thing is just a confusing term. And that's just what it's historically always been called as natural wine. And, but again, it's, it's, it's quite confusing. So, you know, they're only about, 1,200 natural wine farmers in the world. There are a couple of hundred thousand winemakers. Only about 1,200 of them are grow natural wines. So, and as I mentioned earlier, the dry farm wine standard is also sugar-free, irrigation-free, and we have a limit on the number of sulfites contained in the wine. So, all fermented products, doesn't matter what it is. Anything that's fermented has sulfites. Sulfites are a naturally occurring process of fermentation. The question is, do they have added sulfur dioxide as a, as a preservative that, and a sterilizer? So sulfur dioxide is used both to sterilize and meaning to kill everything in the wine, including the gut-friendly bacteria that exist in natural wines. So Dr. David Perlmutter, New York Times bestselling author on the relationship between our gut microbiome and our brain, um, has written several times about natural wines and dry farm wines. He's a huge fan of our wines, which are still living because they haven't been sterilized with sulfur dioxide or killed or mummified, as we call it. When you mummify the wine when you kill the wine and all the living bacteria you're also killing these gut friendly bacteria that exist in natural wines so every single wine that i drink and sell is independently lab tested by a certified analogist on our behalf looking for these impurities and sugar and alcohol another collusion between the wine industry and the government is that the alcohol printed stated on wine bottles, not required to be accurate by law. Now, most people don't look at the amount of alcohol they're drinking on a wine bottle. They just don't pay any attention to it. But if they did and it read 14%, it could be as high as 15.5% and still be legal under the code. So this is just another collusion between the very powerful alcohol lobby and the wine lobby and the U.S. government. 
right? Because the alcohol industry and the wine industry, they love higher alcohol. Alcohol adds density to wine. It makes it bolder. It makes it richer. It also, alcohol is addictive. And alcohol is what I call a domino drug. So the more of it you drink, the faster you drink it, the more likely you are to drink more. Right. And so the wine industry actually is in love with alcohol. I don't love alcohol because I think it's dangerous. Um, And I like to drink. I drink every day. The only time I don't drink wine, I only drink at night, of course, when I eat. The only days I don't drink wine in my life are when I'm on extended water fast, which is usually about once a month. I do a three, uh, usually a three or four day water fast. And in addition to intermittent fasting, because really it's the only way for me to preserve the body that I want and to keep my mass as lean as I want is I have to do these extended water fasts once a month and then I can only eat once a day. It's unfortunate. I love to eat all the time. I love flavor. I love eating. But <laughs> um, but um, it just doesn't serve my health or many other people's for that matter. So anyway, that so conventional wines, the government measures sulfites in parts per million. In conventional wines, that can be as high as 350 parts per million in, a, in, in, in commercial wine. Our average wine, because it is, they're naturally occurring, our average wine contains 30 parts per million, or, you know, one-tenth of what the legal standard is. And again, those are naturally occurring. So farming, uh, native yeast fermentation, and additive-free. This is what makes for a natural wine. And then, as we discussed, we have a number of other criteria that we require just because we're super, super careful Particular, and concerned yeah. about what we put in our body. It also must taste delicious, right? So if it doesn't <laughs> yes. taste delicious, it doesn't really matter what's in it. Agreed. But, uh, yes. Yeah. So that that's that's sort of the that's kind of the story on um, that's the story on sort of natural wine. And then problem is you can't find it. So which is another reason that our business has done well is that you, you you can't find these wines. First of all, you can only get dry farm wine certif- lab tested certification only from us. But even finding natural wine that's not certified by us, you could be higher in alcohol, could contain some sugar, may have been irrigated, uh, may have slightly higher sulfites. I, you know, wh- whatever, whatever, there are natural wines that don't fit our criteria. Most of them, uh, either from sugar or alcohol. So, but the problem is finding natural wines at all is a challenge. So if you live in a major market like New York or um, Chicago or, you know, Los Angeles or San Francisco, you can find natural wine retailers, right? Remember, it's not organic wine you're looking for. It's a natural wine. And natural wine retailers don't sell conventional wine. They're just like, they're very myopic. They only sell natural wine. And uh, so you'll find these in, uh, in, in major markets. But, but if you live in smaller markets or ones not so much in the stream, you would find it very difficult to find a natural wine at all. 
But there's a smartphone app. If you do live in a major market, there's a smartphone app called Raisin, or you could do a Google search for natural wines. And maybe if you live in a big market, you might find somebody who sells natural wine. Um, even I, I have a home in Miami where I spend the winters. And although you caught me in California today, but uh, <laughs> even in Miami, which is a very international and 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 a very substantial city, you you can't find. It's very very difficult to find natural wines. I live in Miami Beach. There's one restaurant that has like two or three natural wines on their list. Uh, there's two retailers in Miami. Both of them are super small, both one in some obscure location, the other one downtown, but very, very small selection, right? Even in a big international city like that. So, you know, so they're, they're, they're quite difficult to find. And again, they're not certified by us. I mean, the, the wines that we're selling have very specific protocol. Well, and that's what's so nice. You guys take the guesswork out for the consumer. You know, I don't live too far away from Chicago, but I don't have time to go and search things or try to find a market. And then I don't know exactly what their what their market is. And I can tell you this much. Since I have been a subscriber to Dry Farm Wines, not only have I en- my I've enjoyed all of the wines that I've tasted and of, of course I have my favorites, but my husband has too. And now he's drinking the wine. But I think that my palate's changed as well. Um, For sure. Absolutely. I I feel that there's been an occasion where I've been at a restaurant or something and I've had a glass of wine and it tastes almost syrupy, like there's cough syrup in it or something. And I think that my palate's really evolved since I've been drinking your wines. There's no question about it. Your palate, because before you didn't, you, you, if you're drinking conventional wines, these are not real wine. They contain flavor components, enhancers, color enhancers, color agents. They can contain all kinds of things. It's not really wine, right? They're very often high in sugar and with alcohol. And they, so you, they taste different. They're, they're very heavy. They taste like cough syrup in some cases, as you mentioned. It's very common. When you get away from that and then you go back And you drink a conventional wine after drinking natural wines for a while, and you're like, oh, I can't drink this, right? And uh, and so it's like, it's just, it's it's just incredibly heavy. So sometimes, even, you know, when people start drinking natural wine, particularly lower alcohol, because it's far less dense, it's lighter and fresher, just like the food types that we typically eat if we care about what we're eating. It's just lighter and fresher. So that's the way the wines taste. And, you know, sometimes men in particular will say, oh, this wine's not big enough for me. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, I'm, I like a big cab, right? Well, the, the thing is, after you drink natural wines for a week or two, then you're just like, oh, I can't go back to that. I mean, it's horrible, right? The taste of it, the consistency of it, the heaviness of it the sugar in it, the kind of long finishes that it has, which people talk, oh, it's a great long finish. Well, I mean, that's, a lot of that's sugar, right? So sugar gives wine mouthfeel. Uh, you'll yeah. notice when you drink our wines, they don't have that kind of finish. They're very fresh, like water, right? They I mean, are. They're, they're much, 
Yeah, they're much lighter, but you start to really taste the difference much more because as you said, you're not drinking from maybe these three people or these three companies that are making all this wine across the board. Um, yeah, it's been really interesting drinking it. And um, my husband, he, he's he been drinking the wine and really it just appeals to him too. He was never a wine drinker before. But what also impresses me is how I feel the next day. So I have three right. kids, six and under. And I can't wake up the next morning and not be able to function and right. not feel well. With this lower sugar, the lower alcohol, I can enjoy wine the evening before and wake up the next morning feeling great. Yeah, and, and functioning. Yeah. And Todd, could you speak on that a little bit? Because I remember hearing something about people have this misconception about about sulfites and such. They think that that's what's giving them the headaches, that it's usually red wines, the culprit. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, that's not, it's, it's, a, it's a myth. It's not generally true. If somebody's allergic to sulfites, they're probably walking around with an EpiPen in their pocket. I mean, it's a very serious thing. Generally speaking, we don't really know. I mean, is it, we don't really, we're not sure. Uh, but here's what we do know. White wine contains higher sulfites than red. And so, and most people who have negative reactions to wine report it with red wines. Typically what's, ha and this is particularly prevalent for women. So usually what's making women feel bad are biogenetic amines, the two primary offenders are tyramine and histamine that are commonly found in commercial wines because of the way it's made. You don't get these reactions from natural wines. And so, but we don't really know fully what's making you feel bad, but here's what one would expect. It, it could be related to the fermentation process in some way. It could be related to the additives could be related to sugar. It's definitely related to higher alcohol, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and also to these biogenetic amines because of the, the way red wine is made. See, Americans believe this is another myth. It's not true. In fact, I would tell you maybe the opposite is true. But Americans believe that the darker a red wine is, the higher quality it is. There's no truth to that, but how you get a wine darker, there are two ways to make red wine darker. You can have it macerate longer, or you can add a coloring age agent to it. The maceration, what maceration means, and this also describes and explains a couple of other things. So people always say red wine is you know, more healthy than white wine. And the reason for that is because red wine contains just over 800 polyphenols, flavonoids, anaflavonoids. White wine contains just over 200. These compounds are thought to impart health benefits. The most famous one's called resveratrol, which has been shown to expand, to extend life span in mice. There's no proof it works in humans, but there are leading anti-aging biologists. Uh, most famous one, famous one is Dr. David Sinclair, who actually 
takes supplements of resveratrol and believes very strongly in it, but there's no proof it works in humans, but it is contained in red wine. And so how red wine gets its color is through maceration or contact with the skin. So when you make a red wine, you press the juice off of the berries. It runs into a tank. Then you take all the seeds and stems and skins that are left in the in the press and you put those in the tank with the wine with the with the grape juice so when you squeeze the juice from a red wine grape and you squeeze the juice from a white wine grape they're both clear red wine gets its color from skin contact and so this maceration or contact with the skin the period of maceration the longer the wine soaks on skin the darker the wine will become Also, the darkness can be influenced by the type of grape it is as well. But one thing is for certain, the longer it macerates, the darker the wine becomes. The other way, as I mentioned, you can add a commercial color agent to it to make it darker as well. That's typically what happened when you see, when you see people with purple lips and teeth from drinking red wine, that's almost always a color agent because natural wines will not do that. You won't get you won't get purple teeth or lips or anything from drinking natural wine. You will from commercial wines because very often they have color agents in them. You know, is it sulfites? No, we don't think so. Is it one of these 20 other things? We don't really know. There's no research to support, you know, there's no control group studies that say, oh, it's, you know, it's histamine or it's tyramine or it's sugar or you know we don't know or it's just alcohol one thing we do know for sure the more alcohol you drink the worse you're going to feel right yeah so alcohol is going to dehydrate you it's going to give you a hangover which is the reason you know in the biohacking community you know it's often touted that the drink of choice is tequila because it's distilled it's pure you know it it is additive free but the problem is it's 45 percent alcohol yeah, And so, and speaking of tequila, this is how you know for sure. If you have much drinking experience, I'm sure you've experienced this. <laughs> but this is how you know that sugar and alcohol are a particularly nasty combination together. So if you drink a shot of tequila, you're going to feel very different than if you drink a margarita. And if you have three shots of tequila or drink three margaritas, the outcome the next day is going to be very different from just drinking the tequila, right? Right. It's, it's going to have a substantially lower hangover, substantially lower negative impact on the following morning than putting the sugar and alcohol together. So anyway, that so it's not sulfites. That's old wives' tale, really. Mm-hmm. It's, it's We don't know what it is. Here's what we do know. When you stop drinking those wines and you start drinking natural wine, you will feel better immediately and they taste better. They do. You know, I had a friend of mine who back in, uh, for 4th of July, we went over to her house and I brought a bottle of your bubbly over to celebrate and she didn't want to drink it at first. She said, oh no, it always gives me a headache. And she has a little, a new daughter. So she didn't want to feel bad the next day. And I said, just try it, please. It's completely different. Well, she tried it and she ended up texting me the next morning and said, this is the best bubbly I've ever had. And I feel just fine this morning. And she said, I need you to tell me exactly what that was because I'm getting it. 
I've just seen more and more that I've been sharing these wines. I'm seeing these experiences being told back to me. And I think it's important that you guys are spreading the word about this. The education that you provide is so wonderful. Not only that, Todd, but you know, you're speaking to a fourth generation farm girl here from the Midwest. And oh, wow. yeah. And so to see a lot of these family farms be eaten up by big egg over the last, you know, 30 years and in an exponential way. What you guys are doing for small farms is really beautiful. These estates that have been around forever, that has to really hit you in the heart the right way. Yeah, I appreciate that. We, you know, we support over around a thousand small independent family farms and um, all around the world. Uh, We do not sell any domestic wine, it's worth noting. You probably notice all the wines that you get from us come from out of the country. The reason being is that there are no domestic wines grown and produced here in the United States that meet all of our criteria for purity. Uh, Unfortunately, there are about 25 or so natural wine makers in the United States, but their wines don't fit all of our criteria. They are natural. They just, you know, usually in most cases, they fail on one of three points. Well, irrigation is takes almost everybody out because uh, almost everything's irrigated in the U.S. Thing is that if you're going to dry farm, you can't convert you can't convert a irrigated vineyard into a dry farm vineyard. You have to replant. The only way you can grow a dry farm vine is to start at the time of planting, right? So the root structure... The root structure in an irrigated vine will not support taking it off of irrigation because it hasn't developed proper root structure. Because Mm. the root structure of an irrigated vine is about four feet in diameter and about four feet deep because it gets all of its nutrient and all of its water source from a little tube that hangs just above the trunk. So it's a very lazy vine. An unirrigated natural grapevine will have at maturity could have roots that span 20 or 30 feet deep and across these tiny little hair like capillaries that are constantly looking for rock and um and 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 soil to break apart in their in their search for nutrient and moisture right so just break these tiny tiny little pieces of mineral up you know, getting very, very small amounts of water out of it. So that's how they survive. And that you can't just take, can't take an irrigated grapevine and just make it dry farm because it will die because it doesn't have proper root structure to support it. And so the reason you don't have any much dry farming here, A, it's more difficult, it's more expensive, and you have to start dry farming from the very beginning. It's also worth noting you know, this whole irrigation thing um, didn't start in the United States on grape farming in California until the 1970s. Prior to that, everything was dry farmed for grape farming. But things have so, changed in such an exponential way, you know. Well, um, all around the planet. I mean, in yeah. so many ways, chemical farming, irrigation, you know, the uh, plastics in the sea. I saw this fascinating documentary on uh, how plastics get in the ocean is not from straws. It's from actually fishing nets. But, wow. Um, 
Yeah, it's um, it's uh, it's pretty pretty fascinating. But so yeah, I mean we we're just killing the planet, right? And uh, it's it's you know it's a big issue. It is. You may hear no, people t- talking about it occasionally. <laughs> you might every once in a while. You know, Todd, though, you guys are making waves in the industry and getting this education out here um, is so important. I know that you guys have another side of the business that you've started to. My son is on the ketogenic diet because he has epilepsy. Nice. And yes, and we started with that right away. He's on no medicine. He's just um, seizure free on the ketogenic diet. We've had a hard time sourcing oils. And now you guys have taken the guesswork out for us because you're now offering olive oil. The olive oil industry certainly echoes the wine industry in the fact that there's such a lack of transparency. Could you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. So, you know, uh, 60 Minutes did a did an expose on the olive oil industry, a feature a few years ago. And experts estimate that 75% of extra virgin olive oil on grocery shelves is not extra virgin. And that about 25% of it is not even olive oil at all. And so we have a similar problem with, with oil that we have with wine, which is there are 11 lab tests that you can subject olive oil to. And we use most of them. And one of them Extra virgin olive oil has a standard of polyphenols. You can measure the, with the, which are the health properties inside olive oil. So you can measure the polyphenols in an olive oil. We have a minimum of 240 parts, which is the European standard to be considered extra virgin. So, but the, but the other problem with olive oil, the big problem with olive oil is it needs to be fresh. So you should be eating olive oil, preferably within a year of, of harvest, but certainly within 18 months of its harvest date. And any high-quality olive oil, any high-quality olive oil, extra virgin olive oil, will have a harvest date on the bottle. If it doesn't have a harvest date on it, it is not high-quality oil. Everybody who, who, who grows and harvests high-quality oil puts the harvest date on the bottle because it's super important for the freshness of the oil. So the polyphenols and the taste of the oil are substantially impacted by the age since harvest. So you want to be buying olive oil. And olive oil is expensive if you're getting high-quality olive oil. It is, and but so, it's, it's very different, though. Yeah, it's worth it, but, I mean, it's, it's usually around $35 for, for a bottle, mm-hmm. right? So it's expensive, but worth it. Now, we got in the olive oil business because we're also ketogenic and we eat a lot of a lot of olive oil. A lot of olive oil. It's the, in my opinion, it's the highest quality of healthy oils that you can consume. And so I also consume grass-fed butter and coconut oil or the other two oils I consume. But I consume most of olive oil. So you want great taste. Then also olive oil is much like wine. It, Every diff, every olive oil is going to taste radically different than the next. So you've got a whole set of different flo- flavor profiles. Some are more buttery, some are more spicy, some are hotter. You know, just it just it just some um, are are better with fish or vegetable. You know, it depends on what kind of flavor profile you want. So there are all different kinds of flavor profiles. 
But we were already, you know, these natural farmers who were already growing these wines for us, many of them, because they run biodiverse farms, many of them have olive orchards. So it's just a natural extension to sort of solve that problem as well and bring extra virgin lab tested certified oils from us, right? From the same small family farms that we buy wines from. So, um, and our customers love it. Oh, and so well, I'm one and I love it. And again, yeah. taking that guesswork out, I don't have to, you know, go research a, a bottle to see what it actually consists of. It's just, well, not, it's hard to out. research it. I mean, it's just like, yeah. you know, you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. And so we know because we inspect these farms. We know these families. We're in, we have a team in Europe. You know, we, we, we have five growers in South, South Africa. We have um, half a, we have about a dozen growers in South America and Chile and Uruguay. And, um, and then the rest of our growers are spread across Europe and the continent. Uh, Some of them outside the EU, but on the European continent. So, it's, um, yeah, so we're, you know, we're out there. We know these families. We're, we, they we know their ethos and their commitment to farming, mm-hmm. their commitment to the world, their commitment to their families. And most of them are multi-generational landowners. So they're second, third, fourth generation wine growers, uh, and farmers. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a great thing to be able to support them. It's a wonderful thing to be able to travel and visit with them. When we travel, we oftentimes stay with them. You know, the 90-year-old grandmother cooks for us. It's like, you know, it's, oh. it's, it's, it's a great job, right? <laughs> yep, yep. You did good for yourself, Todd. You certainly did. No, I, from a keto mom, though, uh, knowing that I can just know that my order is going to come and I'm going to be giving my son those quality, healthy fats is something that uh, is a really good feeling because there is so much lack of transparency out there with olive oil and with having to push fats in the ketogenic diet, it's really hard to do and to source your oils properly. I, I watched, you're speaking about documentaries. I watched a documentary many years ago and I can't remember what it's called now, but it was about the olive oil industry. And once again, no clue. That's why this type of education yeah. is so important. And you getting out here and, you know, talking on podcasts and spreading the knowledge about olive oil and, of course, wine. Um, that's what it's going to take. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a slow move. But, you know, lots of people know now what they didn't know before. And, you know, if you want to drink additives in your wine or, you know, so be it. I, if you want to drink conventional wine, I, I think that's great. What I really think you should have is the transparency on a label to be able to see what you're consuming, but unfortunately you don't. So, um, and we're huge advocates for contents labeling and nutritional information on a wine bottle because I want to know how much sugar is in it. That's the other primary thing I need to know is I don't drink sugar. I don't eat sugar. So, um, but, uh, yeah, so we're, you know, we're, we're, we're doing what we can. We're talking nice people like you. We spread the message. I do lots of podcasts and speak and, you know, tell the truth about what's happening out there. And then, then people see for themselves when they experience it, then they just like feel better. And they're like, well, this must be better because I feel much better. Like you can't like, yeah, you can't, you can't unknow it. No, 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 no. It's, 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 it's a thing. It works. It works for sure. It does. No, absolutely. Well, 
I wanted to ask you one more thing before um, before our time is up here. I always ask people what book they're reading or if they have a favorite book. Yeah, so so I you know people often ask me you know what's your I'm reading a book on conscious capitalism right now, but I read a lot. People always you know frequently ask me what's my favorite book that I recommend to people. Uh, there are two, although there are many. But uh, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, I think, is really speaks to, you know, I'm, I'm a huge advocate of meditation and, and mindfulness training, and I think for both mental and, and physical health and anti-aging, because if I think there are two contributors to aging and chronic disease development. One is, is um, hyperproduction of insulin from too high blood glucose. And the other is is cortisol, our stress hormone, right? Which um, is probably the primary contributor to cardiovascular disease. So, but the power of now is, I, I think Eckhart does the very best job of helping us understand how the mind works and the egoic mind and the subconscious mind, how the mind works and how it taunts us. So the power of now um and then the second book is called The Master Key System, which was written in 1912, which is a more prescriptive form. I think what Eckhart does in The Power of Now is he he really explains how the mind, how dangerous it is, how destructive it is, and how it works. What he doesn't do in that book is give us a prescription for solving it uh, so much. And The Master Key System is... A, the Master Key System was also the precursor to a very famous book and movie called The Secret. And so The Secret was inspired from the Master Key System, which was written in 1912. Also, Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich, also inspired by the Master Key System, written in 1912. And it was not a book, actually, which is another thing I like about the Master Key System. It's not a book. It's actually a manuscript. It was, it was uh, originally a... Uh, a 24-week correspondence course sent to you by the U.S. Mail. Today wow. it would be a funnel on the internet, you know. But but it was uh, but at the time it was a 24-week correspondence course that came one lesson per week, and so the chapters are very you know they're like two or three pages long, and they're oh very my. prescriptive. So it's uh, it's written by an author called Charles Hannell. But anyway. I recommend everyone read The Power of Now. Um, I'm reading that right now, actually. I'm. It's also Oprah's favorite book, if that means anything to anybody. It <laughs> doesn't mean much to me, but. Well, and I think starting with that one, I know he has um, Brave New Earth, but I think The Power of Now is the better one to start with. The Power with. of Now is the first one. It's the foundation, and I think it's the best written one. I've I've read several of his books. Um, I thought the the power of now was the most was the most monumental, and um, I recommend it in two different formats because I recommend reading it, but also listening to it on Audible. And the reason to listen to it is because he actually reads it, and he has this extremely interesting voice. He does. And so he actually reads the Audible version himself. And uh, so anyway, that that would be in a short, I have a list of probably 10 must read books for different types of people, you know, like 
young people should read X. You know, people who care about aging should read Y. You know, so it's like, and are you following Dr. Dominic D'Agostino's work? No. Okay. Well, I mean, the only reason I ask that is if your son's epileptic and is on a ketogenic diet, um, Dominic is, were you, do you know the Charlie Foundation? I do. Very familiar okay. with them. Love them. Well, yeah. So, so the Charlie Foundation is closely aligned with Dominic. And, um, but Dominic D'Agostino is probably the most contemporarily famous ketogenic scientist in the U.S., primarily because he's been featured by Tim Ferriss and Tools of Titan. And he's been on Tim Ferriss's podcast twice and he's been on Joe Rogan's podcast. And he's a great guy and he's super smart. And so he's just done a lot to promote both um, the ketogenic diet and some exogenous ketone supplements. So, oh, no, I will check that of, out. Yeah, he has a lot of research on – he's also the co-founder of the Metabolic Health Summit, which is an annual ketogenic – the most important annual ketogenic conference. You, It's open to the public. You can attend. It's it's in California, but but you should look up Metabolic Health Summit, and uh, it's the most important ketogenic conference in the world. And it's yeah. both open to professionals and, and to the public. You know, it's amazing just how much of an in- impact it can have on your health. I mean, obviously you're doing ketogenic and, you know, I, I should say my son is more on a modified Atkins diet, you know, which sure. you spoke to a little bit. But I try to tell everybody I know that has somebody that they know that has epilepsy to look to the ketogenic diet. Because again, you know, coming full circle, that gut to brain relationship, we're just starting to you know, get to the tip of the iceberg and there's so much below the surface as they begin to unpack that relationship more and more. It's fascinating and there's really something to it. Oh, there's no question about it. And 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 also, you know, because it's super low carb and sugar free, I mean you you end up with a very stable blood glucose, which I think believe that elevated blood glucose and the consequent, you know, pouring of insulin that constantly goes throughout our body all day long as people eat and always have something in their mouth, you know, hyperproduction of insulin, which I believe is what's killing us and creating most chronic illnesses. It's also thought to contribute substantially to deteriorating brain health through, uh, through Alzheimer's. Hmm. But, you know, you know how you just feel better when you don't eat all this stuff and you maintain a low blood glucose. And uh, it's certainly anti-aging. You see everybody, I, I see people just even the, their appearance, their lack of inflammation, their inflammation goes down, even for people who are super in shape, um, who then start experimenting with a ketogenic diet, their face gets more narrow because they lose, they're not losing fat. These are people who are already in shape, not losing fat, they're losing inflammation, right? From, oh, yeah. uh, from this SAD, the standard American diet, what we call the SAD diet, causes a lot of inflammation, which is another thing that contributes to aging and also chronic disease. About aging, I'm thinking about maintaining a longer health span, right? Now, hopefully a long lifespan comes with that, but it's really more important to me to live longer, healthier, right, without chronic disease. The same chronic diseases kill most people in the end. The question is, when is the onset of that disease? You <laughs> right. know, so, 
you know, you're going to die of heart failure, but does that happen at 99 or at 59? You know, so the, 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 the question is that the same diseases usually end up killing most people. The question is when did they onset, right? I want to onset mine at the very end. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think you're absolutely right. And yeah, the inflammation, the sugar, um, those are big public enemies and we should all be more aware of them and how they impact our health. And this is a way to do that is to educate. And I thank you so very much for coming on today and speaking about dry farm wines and just having a candid conversation about the wine industry and talking a bit about the olive oil industry too. I know that moms are most people are trying to live an intentional and a more healthier life. And once they have that information and that education, you can't go back. Once you know better, you do better. Maya Angelo, once you know better, you do better. Thanks for having me on today. It was a great mm-hmm. time. Take care, Todd, and happy holidays. I hope that you found today's episode to be extremely informative. If you are looking to source healthy, organic wines that actually do your body good. Look no further, Dry Farm Wines is the answer. I'm excited to announce that I have partnered with them because I truly believe in their company and what they're doing, and their wines are absolutely beautiful. I invite you to use my link where you can actually receive an extra bottle of wine for a penny with your first subscription order by visiting dryfarmwines.com forward slash mama's roots. That's M-A-M-A-S-R-O-O-T-S. Happy holidays, everyone. Take care.